you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, and I invite you to stand to hear the word of the King. The Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Amen. Be seated. So we're doing a With God Part 2. And if I can just say one thing, we're a little behind schedule, so if you would, when we're done, run to your group. Don't get coffee for 14 minutes. You'll kill the person who prepared, okay? So run your group if you can. That's just a, can I do that? That's great. Awesome. Public service announcement for the speakers who are up next. So um, what I want to say is this. I want to give you a quick summary, and it is this. Union with Christ brings spiritual change which affects our thoughts and our bodily life. Union with Christ, which I just read about, brings spiritual change which manifests itself in different thoughts and different external behaviors even in our bodies. Now, one of the great questions that people ask when they read a passage like Romans 6, you know, we're dead to sin, we're alive in Christ. One of the great questions people ask is, really? Is it that simple? I'm just united to Christ and I change? I mean, is, is change that easy? Or some people say, is change even possible? One of our songs touched on that. I'm, I'm, I'm prone to depression. That's not me, actually, but maybe it's you. Uh, I'm prone to depression. Will I ever be free? How can I change? Is that possible? Now, people address this in different ways. Uh, some people are, I'll call it, thunder preachers. And they just say, just stop it. Just obey the scriptures that say, rejoice and be glad and give thanks. And if you thank God enough, then it'll go away. Just stop sinning. And there are, there are pastors, Christian leaders, who've made a career out of that. And there are secular people as well. How many of you know the name Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Living? Who knows that name? A fair number of people know that name. Uh, he's... Uh, he likes Christianity. He's certainly not an Orthodox Christian by any means. He wrote a book called 12 Rules for Living uh, that sold three or four million copies, wildly popular. You can look him up on YouTube. He's got lots of talks. He's very gifted. And he has rules. And one of his rules is set your own house in perfect order before you criticize the world. That's a rule. Here's another one. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. My personal favorite is raise your children in such a way that when other people meet them, they will be glad. Those are some rules he offers. Now, can we follow the rules is the great question. The rules are clear. Can I do it? So from time to time, I read gossip. I read uh, advice columnists and my favorite I retired a few years ago. Her name was Dear Prudence. She was Dear Prudence number four 
or something along those lines. And I'm just going to give you a, um, one of the most captivating questions and answers that I ever saw in her column. And it went like this. Dear Prudence, I don't know what to do. I take a bus to work every day, and there are people at the bus stop. And at my bus stop, uh, there is a dear old man who's, who's nearsighted, has a problem with his sight, and he, he was always fumbling in his wallet to get the right right amount of money out. And one day I helped him get the money out. And there, was just, there were just $20 bills just kind of floating around. And so as I got the money for the bus, I, I took a 20. All, I took a 20. And he didn't seem to notice or mind. And I've been doing that for the last six months. Two or three times a week, I just slip a $20 bill. He's never said anything about missing it. And I don't get paid very much. And this allows me to stop packing lunches for myself. I can go out with my friends at lunchtime, gives me a few amenities, but I've begun to feel guilty. <laughs> so what should I do? And dear Prudence, who is a relativist except when she doesn't want to be, said, you must join a kleptomaniacs group today. And start saving money today and pay this man back right now. Just, just, so I, I, just so I understand, you say you feel terrible, but the sandwiches are great. You are a criminal. Stop it. I don't know. Did she stop or not? I don't know. Giving commands, stop it, may not work. Now, the truth of the matter is that the Apostle Paul, I've got an orange peel here for a reason. I'll, I'll get back to it. The Apostle Paul, in chapter 6, verse 1, begins to uh, address the view that maybe his gospel doesn't encourage moral change. In fact, at the end of chapter 5, he says, you know, sin reigned in death so that grace also might reign through righteousness, etc. And people say, now wait a second, you're saying the more we sin, the more grace we get. So if the more sinning we do, the more grace we get, why not sin more that grace may abound, right? So maybe Paul isn't even in favor of moral change at all. At least that's what some people say about him. And he says, no, no, absolutely not. We have died with Christ. We have been raised with Christ, chapter 6, verses 2 to 4. How can we continue to live in sin? And we're united to Christ. To die with Christ is to die to sin. That's verses 5, 6, and 7. And then he says, if we've risen with Christ, this is verses 8 to 10, which I didn't read yet. If we've risen with Christ, sin has lost its dominion over you. So you may commit individual sins, but it doesn't reign over you. And then finally, he says, since it's the case that sin no longer reigns and Christ reigns united with him, since it's no longer the case that you are given over to sin, therefore consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So the question is, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? The answer is no way. No way. Surely you must know that to belong to Christ is to lay sin down. Therefore, we can and should be able to say with proper humility from time to time things like, a year ago I would have, but now... I, or a few years ago, we would have, but now, I. Now, if I can give you, can I be a theologian for a minute? Can I do that? So, do you know the word sanctification? Raise your hand if you know the word sanctification. Very good. So, sanctification is the process by which 
God, the triune God, but especially the Holy Spirit, infuses or fills us with his grace so that sin is laid down and we're more righteous. That's what sanctification is. It follows justification in which God declares us righteous. So once God has declared us to be righteous, then we progressively live in more righteousness. But people, that's a great old, those are great old definitions. Definite sanctification, progressive, sorry, definite justification, progressive sanctification. You with me? But then some people said, wait a second, that's, we need to say something more. And that is, there's a sense in which sanctification is also definite too, or definitive. Meaning there is a moment when you're united with Christ and his life is yours and you're hidden in him and, and you're formed by him and you're growing up in him and there's a sense in which you make your break with sin the moment you believe. There's something definite about that. You no longer give yourself to sin. It's, a, it's progressive. You have to live it out. But there's a sense in which right now, today, the day I belong to Christ, is the day I sin less. Definite and progressive sanctification. They are both true. And they're true because Christ is with us. And the Holy Spirit is with us. Always. It's important uh, to remember. And again, our, our song, Emmanuel, and, and that wasn't the song, but our Tom Waits song that had Emmanuel in it. What was the name of the song? Emmanuel Tonight. Emmanuel Tonight. So I knew I was close, but not quite. Jesus is always with us. And the, the challenge we have is that in this life, when people say to us, I'll be with you, they aren't always with us. And so we've learned by experience that I'll be with you doesn't necessarily mean I'll be with you. So I travel sometimes as a church that supports missionaries, and I go on mission trips, and I've been to Hungary a few times. Hungary has a language, they speak a language called Hungarian. And Hungarian is a language spoken by about 11 million people on the planet, and it's, it's an extremely difficult language, and it's an isolate, meaning there's, there's no other language on earth that's like Hungarian very much at all. So if you go to, hung, go to Hungary, you're not learning Hungarian before you go. And my host says, it's fine. I'm going to be with you the whole time. You won't need an interpreter. And, and he's a great guy, and he's going to be with you all the time. Except when I got to the airport, he was not there. And he wasn't answering his phone. And so I'm in the Hungarian airport where no one speaks English. No one. And my, my, my ride isn't there and he's not answering his phone. So he'll be with me all the time except when he's not with me, which is actually pretty often because he also had a lot of things to do, and so he handed me off to number two, my translator, who said, if, if Rob isn't always with you, I'll always be with you except when I have some things to attend to. And then I'm going to give you a third person who doesn't speak any English at all, but she speaks German, and because she's an educated person and she knows I have a PhD, she figures all educated people speak German, Right? To which my answer is, yes, I passed the test in medieval ecclesiastical German when I was 25. Yes, in that sense, I speak German. <laughs> so they were always with me except when they weren't with me. And that's, that's the experience we have. We think, really, are you with me? And the short answer is, actually, God is always with us. And sometimes we're more aware of it and sometimes less which is partially what that song was about. Now, when I say that um, 
Paul teaches us that we break with sin, that a Christian breaks with sin, we think, that doesn't exactly match my experience. And even if I, as a Christian, have shunned more gross sins, I still have subtle sins. And I can get angry and stay angry over a small joke that might possibly have been at my expense. It's not clear. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You with me? Anybody here ever been mad at somebody for two weeks because they told a joke that might possibly have been at your expense? Probably still some of us drink too much, speak harshly, maybe not to many people, but it's known. Probably in this church there are couples that sleep all alone in the same bed for weeks and months because nobody will say, I'm sorry. It's not a crass sin, but it's a sin because you won't forgive. And so we think, you know, this talk about progress uh, doesn't quite match up with my experience. Uh, but there is a sense in which we have to believe what the Bible says, and that is we are dead to sin and we are alive to God, and, and really it should show. Now, what I'm going to say over the next couple of minutes may uh, bother some of you, but some of you may disagree with me, so I just want to label that. I don't ask you to agree with me right away. I ask you to agree with me, you know, within 48 hours. <laughs> so listen, I understand you may not like what I'm going to say for the next few minutes right away. Just bear with me and, and think it over. Would you do that? So one of the challenges or problems I think we have in Christendom today, in the church today, at least in my circles, is a great emphasis and, and a lot of talk about brokenness and about struggle and woundedness and failure. We need to talk about our brokenness. Now, I want to say that is correct in four ways, at least four ways. The first way in which it is correct is that the prosperity gospel and perfectionist gospel is false and, and sets up a, an impossible standard that people simply can't keep. And maybe I just put them together. Um, don't talk about your sin. That's an impossible standard because we do sin. And always talk about your victories. That's also an impossible standard. And, and irrational or exaggerated optimism about the, the growth we have or the victories we have in God can silence people who are truly suffering and struggling. And of course, the Bible teaches us to be honest. So those are four reasons why it's good to talk about our struggles. But I also believe we overdo it. I believe that we talk about struggles when we should say, I struggle and I grow too. And I'm laying down my sins also. And I can and should and by God's grace, will grow morally and not simply struggle and struggle and struggle. And it is right to say at times, a year ago I would have, but today I. Some people, to put it differently, struggle to say or hesitate to say things that are in the Bible, like, uh, this is a Bible quote, I am living in a pleasant place. That's Psalm 16, verse 6. And maybe the reason for that is, in our culture, there is a certain sense in which we privilege people who are oppressed and disadvantaged and who are victims, and there's a certain scorning of the privileged in our society, and, and so people who are privileged who want to speak and want to be heard and want to be respected 
learn to tamp down their privilege, and they, they say, I'm, you know, I'm a victim too. I'm a struggler too. One of my friends labeled it the oppression Olympics. And the, the oppression Olympics uh, is part of that process of trumpeting our sufferings and our disadvantages, and I'm poor and I'm downcast, and I look successful, but I'm not, and I look happy, but I'm miserable, and I'm oppressed, and that gives me authenticity and moral authority, and I can talk, and you won't look down on me for being a person of privilege. So I read an article about two years ago in a very unusual place. It was, uh, it was forgive me, but I do this. I read all kinds of magazines to people. I read Guns and Ammo and Muscle Fitness and Good Housekeeping, and I, I, was, I was doing my biannual read a book about, read a, a magazine about Hollywood, and, and here is the article, and, and the article said, when, this is an actress of some note, who said, when did a happy marriage become so taboo? She said, I have a dirty little secret. I'm happily married. It's probably my most boring attribute, and there's nothing I can do about it. I love my husband, and he loves me. And when I go to girly soirees that turn to marital affairs, pun intended, when I go to girly soirees that turn to marital affairs and miseries, I just have to say I go to the bathroom and I stay there for 10 minutes because I'm sick of it. I'm happily married, and I can't talk about it. The Bible, of course, has about 60 psalms of lament, and it has a few more psalms of praise. Some are both praise and lament. And even as we heard Naomi's song, which has both longing and an answer, the Bible's Psalms of lament, with one exception, have longing and an answer. So here's my current favorite, one of my two favorite psalms of lament is Psalm 129, which goes like this. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. That's, that's straight up double repetition. That's as emphatic as you can get. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, next line, yet they have not prevailed against me. That's lament and hope. It's lament and expecting to grow. The next line is, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. It is a, Psalm 129 is a a psalm of immense lament. The wicked have plowed up and down my back, he says. They've made their furrows long. I have been miserable. I have been afflicted. And the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked. And I believe, I believe we should live there. I believe that if we really are with Christ, it should show. And, and the Bible, you know, says things like, if you belong to Christ, you should show yourself to be a model of good works. That's Titus chapter 2. And, and Paul says we should adorn the gospel with good works. We should beautify the gospel. The word is cosmeto, from which we get cosmetics. We beautify the gospel with our good works. Meaning, if we say I'm a Christian, you, you make the gospel prettier, to the outside world when your works reflect that you've been walking with Christ. Anybody here ever heard of a guy named Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers. Do you know there have been two movies about Mr. Rogers in the last year? Can you imagine that? He died 20 years ago. Two movies in one year. Why? People say, well, maybe it's because he's such a kind man and, and we live in such an unkind age. We're reaching back to Mr. Rogers to, to find civility. 
Movie number two is based on the true story of a man named Tom Juneau, who was a very hot journalist in 1994, 1995, 96. In the 90s, Juneau made his career by being clever, cutting, vain, and cruel in his biographical sketches of great people. And he said to Mr. Rogers, I'd like to interview you. And Mr. Rogers' handler said, no way. He eviscerates the people he interviews. And Mr. Rogers said, way. I want to talk to this guy. Now, at the time, when Mr. Rogers gave interviews, there were so many, he would give a 20-minute interview one time. But to Mr. Juneau, knowing that he might mock and hate Rogers, Rogers gave him hours. One day they were driving in separate cars to Mr. Rogers' parents' grave to put flowers on the grave. And Mr. Rogers' manager, who had said, don't spend time with Juneau, said, do you have any idea what's going on here? And Juneau said, it's an interview? He said, interviews last 20 minutes. You've had days with him. He's taken an interest in you. And if you read the rest of the story or go to the movie, the time Mr. Rogers spent with Tom Juneau changed his life. Because Juneau realized that Mr. Rogers' act is not just an act, it's who he is. He actually loves kids and affirms everybody all day long. And Mr. Juneau hated himself for what he was doing to get a career. And he doesn't write that way anymore. It changed his life. A beautiful life, a Christian life, brings change. We should expect to change. That's what I'm saying. We should be realistic about our struggles, but we should change. Now, of course, you may need a counselor and a guide. You probably do if you're in big trouble. And if it took you 10 years to get your life in a mess, don't expect it to change in six weeks without any help. Take your time, but expect to change. And that change is, first of all, I'm saying attitudinal, right? Expect to grow, but it is also external. And if you look at the end of this passage, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, if you have your Bibles nearby with me still, it goes like this in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, your body, he says. Do not present your members, which is not church members, it's the members of your body. Do not present your members, your bodily members, to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves, your body is yourself, the members of your body, your hands, your feet, are you. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments, and the Greek word means weapons. Present your bodies as weapons of righteousness in God's arsenal. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Now what he's saying here is, if we believe, if we assert that we're changing as people, it will show in our bodies. As a pastor, I learned the hard way that people who trumpet their spirituality a little more than makes me comfortable are probably in serious sin. Probably. 
and they're probably sinning with their bodies. It's probably serious, visible sin. And so Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body because he wants our statement, I love Jesus, to be concrete. If you really love Jesus, love him with your body, with your feet, your hands, your back, your arm, your tongue, your belly. Love him with your body. Show it in your body. Don't give me rhetoric about how much you love God and then show you love the devil with your body. And you should prepare your bodies to be instruments or weapons of, of righteousness. And if I can be, if I can make you comfortable, uncomfortable a second time, may I? If I can make you uncomfortable a second time, I believe that this actually speaks to, the Bible speaks far more than we recognize to the physical disciplines and physical care of our bodies. For example, for example, we should sleep enough, this is not my phrase, we should sleep enough that we're not chronically tired and a grump disaster waiting to happen. So last night, you know, we were here pretty long, and then we went to a party that lasted a while, and everybody's, it's a nice church. You have a nice church, I hope you know that, nice people. So it's kind of hard to leave the party, and then, I'm, you know, I leave the party at 10.35, and I'm up at 6, which in St. Louis time, where I came from, is 5. So I, the party ends, and I'm up at 5, and when I wake up at 5, I have to tell myself one thing, be nice to her. Because you're tired. You know, and she's still sleeping and you're not, and don't resent it and say something. Just say nothing and leave and then come back and give her a kiss. Because when you're sleepy, you're ready. When you don't take care of your body, you are ready to sin. When you're chronically exhausted, you are ready to sin with your mouth and your attitudes. And you should eat and drink in ways that promote health. And even lovely churches and lovely people like this have lots of people who have problems with alcohol or opioids or other things they should not be putting into their body in the quantities that have become their habit lately. And we should exercise regularly. So I've reached a certain age when I read about, you know, staving off death and <laughs> pleasant topics like that. And, you know, slowing down the inevitable decline. And, and so I read and I, you know, I go for tune-ups and, you know, get new exercises. And, and, I, and here's one of my favorites that I read. This is for the 50-plus crowd, and I've been in that crowd for a while. It says, if you want to take care of your body and you're over 50, I think it applies to everybody, exercise to the point of breathlessness every day. You know why? Because you're telling yourself, you're telling your body, just in case you were thinking it's couch time, the game is still on. I am still making demands of you. And the same article, this is a serious research article, said, deprive yourself of food every day till the point that you are genuinely hungry. Do not eat every cookie you see. There are other cookies. They will be available later. Be careful about food altering, about, sorry, mood altering substances. For example, if you wake up and you can't, you have a headache in the morning till, not, till you drink a cup and a half of coffee, if you have a headache till you drink your coffee, you're addicted. You're addicted. You are. 
And by the same token, please try to organize your life in such a way that you don't need a pill to go to sleep at night. Take care of your body. It is an instrument. It is a weapon of righteousness in God's arsenal. And if you don't take care of it, how can he use it? If you're exhausted and tired and grumpy and can hardly move, how can you do God's work? And I tell you, I'm, a, I'm an academic. I sit at the desk and I give lectures in my, you know, my, my step counter. I deliberately walk around when I talk to get my 14,000 steps a day. Even exercise, let, you can sit still better when you exercise. You can read a book better when you exercise. So take care of your body. Now, the Bible says things about this. We hardly even notice it. The Bible talks about being strong so many times. It says the glory of a young man is his strength. There's glory in being strong. But in case you think I'm being a sexist, I will quickly add that the godly woman of Proverbs 31, 14, it says she dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. Amen. And then I love Caleb in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You know, when they're taking the promised land and, and Joshua's leading, but Caleb's in there a little bit. And he says, I'm ready to go. And he makes this fantastic statement. He says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses, the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as great as it was then. That's Joshua 14, 11. You know how old he was? 85. That's awesome. Now, most people aren't there. But it's, it's great to be strong. It's great to be strong in our mind and not give up. And not say, I'm broken, I'm struggling, it's never going to get better. God is with us. Many of the afflictions of the, of the wicked. And many of the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked. And so when you're tempted by sin, you can talk to yourself and say, look, I'm no longer a slave of sin. When I'm tempted, I think to myself, Sin doesn't reign. I can break with this. I do not have to do this. When I fail, I do not have to condemn myself. I can say, the Lord still loves me. I can get up. I can do it again. I've died with Christ. I've risen with Christ. When we're angry, when we sin, we don't pity ourselves. We say, I've stepped away from Christ. I've stepped away from who I really am in Christ, but I'm still with Christ. And we don't live a defeatist life with our mind, our emotions, or our body. And there is a beauty in walking or running with Christ. Um, if I may, I'm just going to tell you a two-minute two, two story. It's a true story. I have a dog whose name is Taxi. She's now 14 years old. Every, every week we think she's going to die because she's just that old. Taxi stands for no taxation without representation. It's a long story, but that's the truth. <laughs> Had to do with a competition one of our kids was in at the time. So... That's our dog's name. And our dog is, a, is sort of 47% tame and 53% wolfish. And selectively deaf, but occasionally a really good dog. Mostly not a very good dog, but occasionally a really good dog. And, and we would go running together. And you have to ask, you have to kind of assess the mood of your dog. Can, you, can I let her off the leash or not? What, is she a wolf today or a dog today? And... I remember one time I went running. It was a day like today. It was about, you know, 25 degrees, and it was snowing, and there was snow on the ground. And I could just tell she was with me. 
And we're running down the street to get to a sort of an informal park near our house where, where we're going to go. And, and she's right there. She's on my left knee. And we come to the street, and I just, I just tug on her leash this much because there's a car coming, and she slows way down. And then I give it just another, you know, a little tug the other way, and then we race across the street, and then we run, and then we go into the open field, and I see she's, she's still right here. It's going to work. And so I let her off the leash, and I say to her, stay with me. She stays right there the whole time. She wanders off. I say, come back. And then, and then we're feeling good because it's 28 degrees, and we're warmed up. And I say, let's go. And she breaks with me into what passes for a sprint as a man my age pseudo sprints. And we speed up. And then I say, okay, let's slow down. And I, when we get to the street again, when it's almost over, I say, heel. And she stops. And I put the leash back on. And it was one of the best moments I ever had with my dog. Because she was with me and enjoying it. She did not resent that I was her master. She ran with me. And that's what it's supposed to be. You know, we're, we're all kind of like dogs that are kind of wolfish and, and kind of tame. And as we are with Christ, we are tamed by him. And we run better, faster, more joyfully, fast and slow and more safely when we're right there with him. And if we stray, he calls us back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I do pray that uh, the fact that we're with you and united to you would show, that it would show in our, in our thoughts, our aspirations, the way we consider our weakness and our failing, the way we don't despair. And Lord, I, I pray that it would also show in our bodies, the way we care for ourselves concretely by the actions that are right in front of us right now. And we do pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And I forgot to talk about the, the orange peel. I just want to, I just, I want to commend you. You can't imagine how happy I was to see no donuts out there. And I was going to keep an orange to show you how great it is to eat well and eat fresh fruit and not donuts at, at, at events. And, and then I accidentally ate it before I could keep it whole. So, Good job snack people.